You're listening to Camayo's Compliance Talk by our in-house compliance expert, Michelle Camayo. Join Michelle on the latest developments, questions, and conversations surrounding employee benefit issues organizations are navigating today. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle with Bolton & Company, and you've joined Camayo's Compliance Talk. This session, we're going to go over a lot of new information. You may have attended my emergency or kind of special edition, I believe that was early last week. So we're going to go over that information again. Maybe it will help to hear it all again. I do have some new information that I didn't have then. So maybe I'll be able to shed some light on a few scenarios that I couldn't have before. So we'll do that. But first, let's go over some housekeeping items. Everyone is on mute. If you have a question, please ask the question via the questions pane in your webinar toolbar, and I will get to it. Um, A recording will be available as well as a copy of the slides. We send that in a post-webinar email, generally comes about Monday afternoon. So yes, a recording and a copy of the slides will be sent to you via email in the next few days after the session. As I mentioned, I'm Michelle Camayo. I'm the compliance leader here at Bolton. It's just me today. Uh, for As far as my qualifications, I work with employers on a daily basis who, who want to be compliant and who need guidance on how to do so. So I can have these practical discussions with you as the employer. I am not giving legal advice. And always keep in mind that the information comes in rapidly. It, it, that has been the name of the game here during this pandemic. And there could be changes or perhaps further clarification and guidance that comes up between each of our compliance talks. So keep that in mind. The objective is to have this conversation that helps you as the employer along the way. I know that you want validation on what you've read or a second set of eyes, if you will, and guidance where none may exist, or at least none that you can find. So my hope is that this conversation provides a little bit of that validation and guidance for you. Let's get started. Oh, first, I want to remind everyone, this is a podcast. You can listen at your leisure. You can pick and choose which episodes to listen to from the past. Uh, We have one in February that dropped uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago, and it's on vaccines and employer-mandated vaccines. So that's a good one to listen to as well. You just go in, wherever you listen to podcasts, just type in Kamayo's Compliance Talk, and you'll be able to download the episodes from there. We're going to talk about COBRA subsidies, the dependent care election increases, the FFCRA extension, the new, brand new California COVID-19 paid sick leave law, and also for those employers who employ um, either remote workers or have locations in the state of New York, we will briefly discuss the COVID-19 injection paid sick leave in the state of New York that was passed. Let's start out with the COBRA subsidies. I'm sure you've all heard already from either your COBRA vendors or perhaps you listened in last week to my webinar that there is a six-month COBRA subsidy for certain individuals that start April 1st and it ends September 30th of this year. 
the subsidy is not retroactive. So I did get a few questions asking, oh, someone's COBRA ends March 31st, do they get the subsidy? No, the, the, per, the participant must be eligible and enrolled after April 1st in order to get a subsidy. So unfortunately for those that, that um, had COBRA prior to that date or were, were, uh, are no longer eligible, they will not be able to take advantage of the subsidy. It is for federal COBRA or CalCOBRA. The good news is that for those on CalCOBRA, the carrier is responsible com for complying with CalCOBRA. It's for medical, dental, or vision COBRA premiums. Um, and it's any coverage level. So if I'm enrolled with my entire family and I elect a medical, dental, or vision, it's a 100% subsidy of that. Someone just asked me, uh, we pay the entire family PPO coverage if someone is enrolled in family coverage. And yes, I just answered that question. It's any coverage level, any COBRA election. So if I'm enrolled, before I go out on COBRA, if I'm enrolled in the most expensive plan with my family members, then the employer must subsidize 100% of that cost. You cannot say, oh, we're only going to subsidize the lowest cost plan. That is not permissible. Now, the subsidy is only available for those who were terminated involuntarily from employment other than gross misconduct, or it could be for someone who lost coverage due to a reduction in hours. Yes, it must be an involuntary termination. If someone resigns, that is not an involuntary termination. In the case of someone who is um, exhausted FMLA and you had to terminate them from the plan, uh, that is a little bit unclear. I don't see how that would be an involuntary termination of employment. Um, but, you know, the devil's in the details. And I will say that the, the DOL hasn't released guidance yet. They will. They have to. There's too many gaps. So we will need to wait on the answer to that. If a participant pays their COBRA, their COBRA premium in April, but they were an assistance eligible individual, you must give them a refund within 60 days. And that is going to happen for sure because we just aren't able to get these notices out fast enough. So you're gonna have a COBRA participant who's going to pay in the month of April and you will have to refund that money. Please work with your COBRA vendor on logistics of what that is going to look like. If someone, I've got a question here, if someone terminates tomorrow, does this apply? Absolutely. If it's a termination, if it's an involuntary termination of employment, other than gross misconduct, if it's involuntary, then yes, they are eligible for the subsidy. So if you're terminating someone tomorrow and it is an involuntary termination, they will be eligible for the COBRA subsidy. It's an, this is a great question. I haven't seen this one yet. If an employee was termed and did not have any benefits at the time of termination, is termination in of itself a qualifying event for the employee to enroll in benefits through COBRA? No, it is not. Because the employee had no COBRA rights. They were never enrolled in a COBRA eligible plan. So they never, uh, they don't have any COBRA rights. Therefore, they can't say, oh, wow, just heard about the subsidy. I now want to en enroll in benefits. No. If they were never enrolled in a COBRA eligible plan in the first place and you involuntarily terminate them, they, they have no COBRA rights. 
Very good question, though. I had not seen that one yet. If someone was laid off in the middle of February and did not elect COBRA as of this date, they wouldn't get the notice to enroll in subsidy. Do they still get 60 days? To, um, a great question. So let me say this. If someone decided not to enroll in COBRA, but they had the option to enroll and they are still in their maximum COBRA period, they absolutely get a second chance to enroll. They absolutely do. They must get a special notice to enroll. And once they receive that notice, they have 60 days to make an election. So if you look at the bottom of this screen, we call that the second bite of the apple or um, some people use the term extended election period, extended election period, meaning they have extra time to, to elect. They have, it, essentially, we call it the second bite of the apple. They have a second chance to enroll. If someone's already on COBRA and they have coverage, COBRA coverage on April 1st, yes, absolutely. It, it has to be an automatic subsidy. You cannot require the COBRA participant to opt in. You must give them that subsidy automatically. And that is for anyone that is considered an assistance eligible individual on COBRA currently uh, starting April 1st, you must automatically apply that subsidy. Got a question about whether or not third party COBRA administrators will notify employees or COBRA participants of this and what are the employer's obligations. First, we wanna look at this from a, a macro sense. The employer is always responsible for COBRA compliance. But one thing that makes it really nice is that you can outsource your COBRA administration to a third party. So the employer is responsible for ensuring that the COBRA administer, administrator is following compliance, is following the law. So what I have seen is that most COBRA administrators have already came out and said, we're going to do this. Give us some time. Let's get our, we need to get our system, systems updated, but we're going to send out the notices on your behalf. Most COBRA administrators have already said that. I can tell you off the top of my head, IGO, TASC, and Discovery have all sent out notices to their clients saying, we're going to take care of this. If we need your help, we're going to let you know. Give us time to update our systems. We have someone who's saying the COBRA administrator is advising the COBRA participants to pay for April and then they will be in reimbursed. Does that sound correct? It sure does. Yep, that sounds absolutely right. As I mentioned before, because of the timing, it's most likely the COBRA participants are going to get a payment in for April and a refund must be given. And that is exactly what your COBRA administrator is saying. And that sounds exactly right. I have not seen any templates available to provide to a qualifying individual just yet. So you're requiring, you're, you're asking about whether or not the special notices are, um, have been released yet. And the DOL is going to create model notices, but they have a few more weeks to do so and they have not yet done so. So no, I have not seen any templates available for that. We are waiting for the DOL templates to drop, as are the COBRA vendors. Got a question about what about the employees that are on an unprotected leave, uh, still employed but inactive. The person's been out for six months. 
and is on COBRA, will that person get a notice too? Not terminated, but not active. That's a scenario where we are, we need more guidance. It's not addressed in the regulations. It does not, it's hard to, to know if that's going to be considered an involuntary termination of employment. I can't see how it would because again, uh, but could it be a, a loss of coverage due to a reduction in hours? Yes. If someone goes out on leave, I mean, that's a reduction of hours and they lose their coverage. So tread carefully on that one for those employees on leave and lost coverage because essentially what they did is they had a reduction in hours. I think there, is, there are plenty of circumstances where those will be eligible uh, individuals for the subsidy, but we, you could wait on more guidance for that one. Uh, here's an interesting one. I have a comment here where a COBRA administrator told uh, a, an attendee that if, if the the termed employee wants to enroll, they must pay for all prior months. They said no lapsing coverage is possible. And this person said, I don't agree. Do I have any thoughts? Yes, I do. I agree. No, that, that's not. A lapsing coverage is absolutely possible. It's written right in the rules. So your COBRA administrator may be confused. Uh, in fact, they may be confusing it with the COBRA extended deadline, which is completely separate from the subsidy. So I, it, it's understandable if they are confused because it is confusing. But the COBRA extended deadlines are completely separate from the COBRA subsidy. And underneath the COBRA subsidy program, the, the COBRA participant can have a lapsing coverage. You cannot require them to go all the way back and enroll to their initial coverage date. Um, you, they, can, they can say, hey, uh, I don't want to start until April 1st, and that is permissible. If we look down at the second bite of the apple, so four more individuals who previously had an involuntary termination or a reduction of hours but didn't elect coverage or those that elected and then dropped, but they're still within that COBRA period, they must be given a second chance to enroll. So we say second bite of the apple. The enrollment is prospective. It does not have to go back to the original COBRA date. But because of these COBRA extended deadlines, it certainly can if the person wants to pay all the back premium. But there can be a lapse in coverage, and it can start prospectively on April 1. So if your COBRA administer, administrator told you something different, they are mistaken. I'm sorry about that. Someone asked what a COBRA period is. A, a maximum COBRA period under Federal COBRA is 18 months, 18 months. Under CalCOBRA, it is an additional 18 months, or if you're a smaller employer, it's just 18 months. The, the time frame that a person has to have to elect COBRA, if they're part of that second bite of the apple, is 60 days. So I hope that clarified for you. I have a question. If a person takes advantage of the second bite of the apple, does their COBRA length begin in April or when they were initially eligible? It is when they were initially eligible. The COBRA maximum period is not extended. So that's a very important keynote for you to know. It's the COBRA maximum period still starts when the person was initially eligible. So ARPA did not extend those COBRA maximum periods. Okay, we have an employee who left the company due to non-related COBRA health issues. 
involving surgery. He's active in our system. We continue to pay for his medical insurance. Does the subsidy apply to him? I'm a little confused by this because you say he left the company. Did he resign? But he must not have resigned if you're continuing to pay his insurance. So I think what you're saying is he went on an, on, on a leave. He went out on a leave of absence. Um, so his hours were reduced, but you're still paying his medical insurance. Hmm. Well, if you're paying it, you're, you're already subsidizing it 100%. So let's say if you want to terminate his benefits and then you can put him on COBRA and then you can take the tax credit, you're asking if his leave of absence due to medical-related reasons, could, um, could the subsidy apply to that? The answer is yes, it very well could. If he lost coverage due to reduction of hours, that, is a, that does make him an assistance-eligible individual. Uh, a question about cash flow crunch. Um, that this might cause a business payroll credit timing. Any chance this can be taken quarterly? Um, they are allowing an advance on your um, tax credits. So talk to your accountant about that one. And they are allowing that advance, you know, simply due to the fact that some employers may have a cash flow issue on that one. So uh, I, I don't speak to the tax credits in detail because um, that's really should be handled by an accountant or someone who's a tax expert and, and I'm not a tax expert. But yes, they are allowing advanced credits. I do know that. I have a question. The employer has to pay out all premiums and then wait until next year for tax credit. No, that is not my understanding at all. And, and again, actually, this is along the same vein as the last question. I'm not a tax expert, but I will tell you they are allowing advanced tax credit, and I believe the credit is taken um, quarterly, if I'm not mistaken, but please, please get with a tax expert on that. And we have another question about COBRA administrators. Are they required or supposed to provide information on these new rules to all COBRA-eligible former employees? Well, yes, you would hope that your COBRA administrator is going to do this on your behalf. Um, I, I would say don't assume anything. Ultimately, COBRA is your responsibility as the employer. So just go to your COBRA administrator, ask them how they're helping you during this time. I can tell you Discovery, IGO, and TASC has already sent communication to their clients. If your COBRA administrator hasn't sent you any communication yet, I would consider that a major lapse in communication. And um, I, I would not, that, that would be incredible if they have not sent any any. Um, in communication to you. So reach out to them proactively, as I'm sure they have, They are going to develop the tools to help you administer this. Okay, someone wants me to confirm, if someone decided to elect COBRA now, you must retro back to their original date of termination. No, no, that is not correct. You do not have to retro back to the original date of termination. If you look at the screen, go to the bottom, the enrollment is prospective. It does not have to go back to the original COBRA date. So this could be a lasting coverage. I know that that is not intuitive because we're so used to thinking, oh, there can't be a lapse of coverage. COBRA picks up when the employee terminates uh, coverage, there, there's no gap. For this new COBRA subsidy, there can be a lapse of coverage Enrollment is prospective. It doesn't have to go back to the initial COBRA date. I hope that made that clear, but let me know if you, if you have any questions. 
I have a question here. Does the employer absorb the cost of the COBRA premium and then get the tax credit later? Yes, exactly. That's exactly how it works. Does it matter if the coverage is fully insured or self-funded? No, it doesn't. Uh, the self-funded, if, if you're self-funded, then you would just take a tax credit against the COBRA premium or the COBRA equivalent pre premium. Uh, but no, it does not make a difference whether you're a fully insured or a self-funded plan. I have a question. I have a scenario presented to me. If a person involuntarily left in November of 2020 but didn't elect COBRA, but then they elected in April as the second bite and wants to claim reimbursement for health care costs in January. They are not covered, correct? That is correct. How could they be covered? Unless that person wants to go back and um, start coverage back to November of 2020 when they, when they were first initially eligible for COBRA and they have to pay all those back premiums, then no. If you start the subsidy in April as part of the second bite of the apple, and you start coverage April 1, you cannot go back for the months that you were uninsured and, and ask for claim reimbursement. If an employee is on workers' comp, would they qualify for the subsidy? They certainly could, depends on the situation. If they are considered an assistance eligible individual, the fact that they're on workers' comp does not interfere with their ability to get a COBRA subsidy if they are eligible. The timeframes for electing COBRA are exactly the same. They, what they, they are what they always were, except for those that have the second bite of the apple. Uh, they have 60 days to enroll in the second bite of the apple. Nothing about this legislation changed any of the, the, uh, the COBRA maximum periods or the COBRA election periods or the COBRA notice periods. Um, except for the new ones that were created out of this law. Okay, I have a few more questions I'm going to get to here. If the employee termed in January and their COBRA began February 1st, do we subsidize for six months beginning with April? If they're an assistance eligible individual, yes, you subsidize for six months beginning in April. You said alternatively, do we only have to subsidize beginning April 1 and up until their six months of COBRA? Uh, you would subsidize, if the person is eligible for COBRA from April 1 to September 30th, you subsidize all months of the subsidy. So April 1 to September 30th. We have a situation where an employer has employees who are freelance and work on projects with a projected start and end date. Would those folks be considered to have an involuntary termination since they knew their project end dates? Or would this not be not matter since we do offer COBRA? Uh, you know, when we're looking at involuntary termination because a contract has ended, an employment contract, let's say, like you're speaking of, that's unclear. We don't have the answer yet. We have to wait for guidance from the DOL. I know that must be frustrating to hear, but I, can't, I do not want to speculate that we don't know. We need more guidance when it comes to that type of involuntary termination. Because certainly there are employers who hire someone and they say, you're only going to be employed from this date to this date. Because they know, because that maybe there's a government contract in play. Maybe there, you know, there's a project that they need. Um, but we've, we don't have any guidance on whether or not that's going to be considered an involuntary termination. It's a second bite enrollment, uh, 60 days from the, when the employees receive the letter. Uh, it's 60 days from, from, yes, technically, but you don't know when they receive it, and there's really no way to track that. Um, so it's really when you postmark the letter 
does is 60 days from that date. Someone asked, do we need to pay the carrier directly versus reimbursing the former employee for the six months, right? Um, we haven't really heard specifics or logistics on that. We believe you'll probably be reimbursing the COBRA administrator. Um, if you, but you really, you need to talk to your COBRA administrator about that. If you don't have a COBRA administrator, you could ask, um, let's say you're administrating COBRA in-house, then go to your carrier and, and, and ask, you know, how that might work. But uh, my, at the first glance at this, it's really you're going to reimburse your COBRA administrator or you're going to pay them or you'll be paying the, the former employee. But the logistics of that would be handled between you and the interested parties. All right. It's, there's an employee who'd be eligible for the subsidy, but they're currently under a doctor's care under a private plan. So she did not elect to sign on to COBRA. Can she remain on her plan and still receive the subsidy? No. She cannot unless she enrolls in COBRA. She could have the option of enrolling during the second bite of the apple. During that 60 days, she'll get a, she might get a special notice and she could enroll and start receiving the subsidy April 1st. If she has other employer coverage or Medicare, she cannot have the subsidy as well. Other than that, if this private plan is not Medicare and is not other employer coverage, then she could have both the private plan and, and the COBRA plan. The definition of gross misconduct, I am not an employment law attorney or an employment law expert, which is what that would fall under. So I'm sorry, I cannot answer your question with regards to what is the definition of gross misconduct. What if a former individual who gets a second bite of the apple, what if they're already enrolled with a new employer or Medicare? Are they eligible? No, they are not. And in fact, if they sign up, they're subject to a $250 penalty. Yes, the subsidy is 100%, which means that the employer pays the entire premium, the 100% subsidy. Someone asked if there's a special qualification requirement for these former employees in terms of connecting the need to COVID. No, it is not tied to COVID. It is tied to an involuntary termination other than gross misconduct or a losing coverage due to a reduction of hours. Can someone drop coverage through their new employer or Medicaid to Medicare to elect for COBRA? Or excuse me. Can a person drop their coverage through their new employer or Medicare to elect the subsidy? No, they would be in violation of the law and they would be subject to a $250 penalty. They are not supposed, and an individual is not eligible for the subsidy if they have new employer coverage or Medicare. They cannot drop that, that coverage. Now, let's say a former employee went to the exchange and they got a private plan through the exchange. They can drop that coverage and come on to COBRA starting April 1. Yes, but not employer coverage, um, new employer coverage or Medicare. All right, lots of good questions. I appreciate you asking them. I, do, I wanted to be here to answer your specific questions. I think I've gotten everyone's questions. So we're gonna go on to the next slide. There are notice requirements. We've sort of been commingling a lot of topics here with all of the questions, but let's go over the notice requirements. The first one is that the existing COBRA election notices do need to be updated. So the DOL is supposed to have model language to us by April 10th. 
The second notice is to current COBRA participants because you need to describe the availability of the subsidies to those current COBRA participants that are eligible. And again, the DOL is expected to have language for that in the next few weeks. Then we have a third new special notice, which is for the second bite of the apple. So new special notice to individuals who were previously involuntary terminated or lost coverage due to reduction of hours and still within their federal COBRA period. Now that needs to be provided to assistance eligible individuals by the end of May. And then that individual has 60 days from receipt of notice to enroll in COBRA. Um, we said receipt of notice, and, and we know that logistically, you're, you're not going to know when someone got the actual notice, so you're going to use the postmark date. And then the final notice comes to, and that final notice is a subsidy ending notice. So it's sort of announcing to the employee, to the former participant, that they have between 15 to 45 days prior to the expiration of subsidy. So it's just like an advance in ending notice, letting the person know, hey, you're approaching the end of your subsidy. So of course, as the employer, you do have some action. If you have a COBRA vendor, that is awesome because they are going to do the heavy lifting on, on, on their end. So please work with your COBRA vendor to ensure compliance. Make sure you hear it directly from your COBRA vendor. Or if your broker is working with your COBRA vendor, hear it directly from your broker. Do not assume. Do not assume. So look for those emails from your COBRA administrator. If you don't have one, connect with your COBRA administrator and say, hey, wh what's, the, what's the word on this? Why haven't you said anything? What are you planning to do to help? And, and then let them respond to that. Do not assume. You want to review individuals who were previously were eligible for COBRA as a result of a termination of employment or reduction of hours. Um, if you were not entering that into your system, whether or not it was involuntary term, then you'll need to collect those that are assistance eligible. Uh, you'll need to collect that data so that your COBRA vendor knows who to send a special notice to. So you need to identify those that were in, those that were involuntarily terminated and uh, identify the assistance eligible individuals that dropped COBRA prior to April 1, but they're still within their maximum coverage period, which is within the federal COBRA maximum period is 18 months. I do get a lot of questions and scenarios saying, okay, well, what is an involuntary termination? First, it's involuntary termination of employment, not of benefits. So keep that in mind, of employment. So when you consider that, you want to know what type of termination qualifies as involuntary. Um, obviously, a voluntary resignation or retirement does not qualify. So however, any particular type of termination of employment that's treated as involuntary is subject to further interpretation. So a lot of gray area. So we are anxiously awaiting DOL guidance. In 2009, when we had the the ERA or ARRA subsidy, the IRS issued guidance defining various types of involuntary terminations that could qualify for that subsidy. So we fully expect guidance will be released. Looks like they're just, it may just take another week or two, maybe three, but hopefully not much longer than that. So in some situations, you will not have an, a clear answer. You will have to wait. I can tell you that death of an employee or divorce 
um, it, it will not qualify. Those will not qualify as involuntary terminations. So um, that much we do know. You know, I've had a few questions on that. Someone asked, what if the second bite notice, so that special notice to those um, second bite participants, what if it takes long enough that the 18 months are now over? Does that extend the 18 months? No, it will never extend. The 18 months will never be extended under this legislation. So what would happen is you that person would retroactively, you know, enroll to April 1. And let's say their 18 months expires April 30th. That person could retroactively enroll for the month of April and not have to pay any premium. We have an employer who says we furloughed our employees on March 13th of last year, but we continue to pay for their medical through the end of 2020. So that's awesome. On October 30th, you laid them all off. Do they qualify for this new COBRA subsidy? Yes, absolutely. This is an involuntary termination. They're all within their 18-month maximum period if they were laid off on October 30th. Therefore, they are going to qualify for the new subsidy. Whether or not they kept their COBRA medical is not relevant because those that didn't choose to enroll are going to get a second bite of the apple. And those who did enroll, uh, you're going to automatically apply the subsidy starting April 1st. All right. We're going to move on to the FFCRA credits that were extended and expanded under ARPA. I can tell you that if you're in the state of California, the California, the new COVID-19 supplemental paid sick leave in California is going to interact with FFCRA. Um, so whether or not you adopt this optional extension, you know, you actually want to give it a little bit more thought once you know about the new sick leave. Um, so let's talk FFCRA. First, please know it is optional. Optional. You do not have to adopt it. It's only for those employers who wish to extend FFCRA. The current FFCRA tax credits expire March 31st. In fact, they first expired uh, at the end of the calendar year in 2020, and then they extended it to March 31st of 2021. And now there are new tax credits that take effect March 31st and end September 30th. And it is optional. There are some new reasons for taking FFCRA leave. Uh, it can be used to provide paid time off for employees to obtain the COVID-19 vaccine or to recover from an illness related to the vaccine. So what we would call adverse side effects. So those are new qualifying reasons. Another interesting note is the new rules starting at the end of this month um, reset the 10-day limitation max on the paid sick leave provision. So uh, we've had employers say, do we have to reset the 10-day max if we wish to extend FFCRA? And, you know, um, what, it, it's unclear, but most attorneys will tell you that you should follow the rules. You should follow the text of the law. So they are saying, yes, you should reset the 10-day max, even if you don't want to, even if you're, off, if you're voluntarily extending it, you should follow the text of the law but it's a little unclear there. Plenty of other highlights in that FFCRA extension as well. So if you are going to adopt the extension, please make yourself or please review all of the new provisions. And also note, and here's where I said, you wanna give this a lot of thought. 
the employers who continue to offer FFCRA may also be subject to the new California COVID-19 SPSL, which is supplemental paid sick leave. Uh, that was signed into law last Friday. In this instance, some paid leave may run concurrently as long as the qualifying reasons overlap and the sick leave is paid on par with the new COVID-19 supplemental paid sick leave. So if you're going to offer both FFCRA and you are subject to the California COVID-19 leave that was just passed, then you need to understand the interactions between the two. And uh, you could have them run concurrently, again, as long as the qualifying reasons overlap and the sick leave is on par, the paid sick leave is on par with the new California COVID-19 supplemental paid sick leave. Someone asked, if the employer E has already used their 10 days, do they get a new 10 days? Yes, that's exactly what happens. It resets the clock under the paid sick leave provision, resets the clock. Is it 10 days or 80 hours? Well, it, it, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's 10 days or 80 hours. Um, 80 hours of paid sick leave is, is technically what, what 10 days amounts to. Can you ask for proof of the vaccination appointment? Yes, you may ask for that. Just be mindful of confidentiality and privacy laws when you ask. Only ask for what's absolutely necessary and keep the information in a file separate from the employee's personnel file. You, someone has said, we've been extending the FFCRA in California. Could we still get credit, tax credit? Yes, that's, that's exactly what this is saying, is that the tax credits um, are extending to September 30th of 2021. If you continue to extend the FFCRA, an employer is asking, do we need to reset the balances or can we continue with existing balances? You need to reset the 10-day limitation max. You need to do that. Uh, someone asked, can I explain how the retro piece of EPSLA works? It's my understanding that if folks have received the EPSL between January 1 and March 31st, we can deduct that from their 80-hour balance that starts for one here in California. Uh, no, the new, the new um, provision restates that you have to reset the 10-day limitation max with respect to paid sick leave. Now that's for the paid sick leave. When we're talking FMLA, those hours that they take still go against FMLA um, if it's FMLA leave, you know, if it's the EFMLA that you're paying out. So be careful not to mix the two. It's the 10-day max is reset, um, but the FMLA clock still ticks. Does SPSL also cover side effects from the COVID-19 vaccine? Yes, it does, and we'll talk more about that on the next, uh, in two more slides, we will talk more about that. Yes, it does cover side effects from the COVID-19 vaccine. Does FFCRA reset the 10 weeks of leave for child care? No, it doesn't. The COVID, the new California paid sick leave does, um, does include um, child care is one of the qualifying reasons, so you'll want to pay close attention to that. Someone asked me to compare and contrast the California Supplemental Paid Sick Leave against FSCRA. I won't be able to do that today, but we are going to go over the California Supplemental Paid Sick Leave qualifying reasons very shortly. Yes, the California COVID-19 Supplemental Paid Sick Leave only applies to California employees, so if you employ employees who are working remotely or working at locations outside of California, they are not subject to, they are not a covered employee. 
If someone used their 80 hours in 2021 under the new California COVID-19, do we have to pay them another? That really just depends. And, and you'll see, I'll provide some detail on why that depends on, on uh, whether or not you have to. Someone said, I'm sorry if, you, if I missed it. Did you say we can collect the vaccine record, but we should keep it in a benefits file? Uh, some similar. I said that you can collect the vaccine record, but you need to keep it separate from the, the personnel file. Um, I do honestly, I recommend you do not. Keeping that type of information or collecting that type of information comes with risk because there are laws that, that state what you need to do with that information. So if you're not compliant, you put yourself at risk. And the only reason I, as an employer, would put my company at risk is if I absolutely needed something. So if you do not absolutely need the vaccine record, uh, then uh, no, I, I would not keep it on file. I would not, uh, would not collect it. <clears throat> but if you do collect it, it's subject to privacy rules and, and confidentiality. So you'll want to keep it in a separate file away from the personnel file. That, that is the California privacy rule. And someone asked, is there any reason not to extend FFCRA since it is optional? Well, I think there are a few reasons you could argue why not to extend it. One, if you extend it, you're subjecting yourself to risk because, again, you have to be compliant. Even if you're extending it voluntarily, you still have to follow the rules and the letter of the text, which means that's risk involved if you don't. And if you do something for one person and not for another person and they bring suit, and it turns out you weren't compliant, then you've absorbed a lot of risk when you didn't need to. So I'm a compliance person. My job is to eliminate risk with regards to the employers that I consult with. So um, unless you absolutely have to have risk, I'm adverse to it. But I know that there is a flip side of that, the human factor. Um, I believe if you look at the California COVID-19 SPSL, you're going to see that having both FFCRA and the California SPSL might be a little bit redundant. So you could at least potentially look at not extending FFCRA because you're going to be, you're, it will be mandatory for you to um, comply with the California SPSL. Just my two cents right there. Take that for, for what it is worth. All right. I have a lot of questions on FFCRA. I will tell you. I'm not an FFCRA expert. This is employment law. Um, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here because some of your questions I can see I cannot answer. But I do want to tell you this. Um, Think HR is going to be a great resource for both in clients that are listening in because Think HR answers those employment questions that are outside of our scope of, of um, expertise, which is mainly related to insurance and not so much, you know, paid sick leave. So while I talk about it and I give you information, um, I don't have enough expertise to answer some of these very detailed questions. So I will have to move on here. Again, if you're a Bolton client, please contact Think HR. They're standing by and can help with all of your FFCRA questions. Okay, we're gonna move into just a, a few um, facts for you that I wanted to bring to your attention. I pulled these from an employment attorney so this is, again, not my area of expertise, but on the screen, I pulled these from an employment attorney um, <clears throat> that was a frequently asked question. Are we required to offer both the EPSL and EFMLA, or can we offer one over the other? So this attorney says, look, um, this is a voluntary 
adoption of these credits, and there are differ differing interpretations of the legislation. Some uh, experts believe employers can offer one or the other, or both. However, the, the best practice is for the employer to offer both types of paid leave to ensure compliance with the text of the legislation and be eligible for the payroll tax credit. They are, and we are expecting the DOL to release guidance on that. And then the second frequently asked question I wanted to, to make sure that you saw is someone had asked if our company voluntarily decides to offer EPSL until September 30th, are we required to reset the 80 available hours each employee can take? Yes, that the employer voluntarily provides this additional paid leave under the act the employer must reset a new allotment of hours. So specifically, the employer needs to offer the additional 80 hours per full-time employee, which is an equivalent of 10 days. So someone had asked prior, is it 10 days or 80 hours? They're one and the same. Any paid leave provided in 2020 cannot be counted towards the new allotment. It is a brand new allotment that starts April 1st. So I hope that brings a little bit more clarity to you before we move on to the brand new California COVID-19 Supplemental Paid Sick Leave. I'm calling this the SPSL, the California SPSL. It was signed into law March 19th. Remnants of it go back to the California SPSL that expired at the end of 2020, and it was for only large employers. But now, and this is very important. Now, this COVID-19 SPSL is for employers with 26 or more employees, and it has added new reasons for leave. So if you're an employer on the line and you have more than 26 employees, please listen to what is on the screen because you may decide that extending FFCRA no longer makes sense for your organization because you're now mandated to follow the new California COVID-19 SPSL. As I did say before, keep in mind, this is only for California employees. So if you have employees across the nation, this only applies to California employees. The new law goes into effect on March 29th. It's retroactive back to 1-1-2021. So if someone took leave for qualifying reasons, you must provide them reimbursement back to January 1 upon written or oral request. It expires at the end of September, and the reasons for paid leave are listed here. And first, the worker has to be unable to work or telework for the following reasons. Some of them we're very familiar with. Others are brand new. So the employee, let's say the employee is subject to a quarantine or isolation period related to COVID-19. The employee has been advised by a healthcare provider. We're all used to that one. Uh, the employee is attending an appointment to receive a vaccine for protection. That is brand new, brand new. Another qualifying reason is the employee is experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 vaccine that prevents the employee from being able to work or telework. So that's the adverse side effects. That is another qualifying reason for SPSL. 
the employee is experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 and seeking a medical diagnosis. Uh, and lastly, uh, oh, the employee is caring for family members, so we're used to that one too. And the employee is caring for a child whose school or place of care is closed or otherwise unavailable for re reasons related to COVID-19. What's that sound like? Sounds a lot like F FFCRA. Um, so you'll see FFCRA and COVID-19 SPSL are, are overlapping. So if you're an employer and you were considering extending FFCRA, if you're also subject to the California SPSL, SPSL, you may decide that you don't want to have both. So you may do away with your FFCRA extension. Just a thought for you to consider. Right. There are a lot of questions about the California SPSL. I've, I'm looking at probably 20 or more. Um, and here's what I'd like to suggest to you. <clears throat> um, there's so much information that this in itself would be about a 45-minute webinar, and I could not fit it in for today. So we have a couple of options to help educate our employers. The first one is I'm releasing a, a blog <clears throat> by the end of tomorrow. So if you're signed up for our blog alerts, you'll get the full information in that blog. But here's what I really recommend is that Fisher Phillips, who you probably know is a great partner of mine, and Nicole Cam has been on many times from Fisher Phillips. Uh, Nicole Cam and her team are putting on a webinar that discusses all things related to the new California SPSL. And I have put the link to the event. It's tomorrow at 10 a.m. So it's tomorrow at 10 a.m. You can log in and listen to the webinar and ask your questions. They do a great job over there, Fisher Phillips. Um, if you, um, because you may not get the link to this, you may not get the slides until Monday and the webinar's tomorrow. Please go online, uh, pull up your browser, type in fisherphillips.com. You can see on the screen, slash newsroom dash events. So if you go to the fisherphillips.com and you look intuitively, if you look around, look for their events, scroll down and you can register for the event on March 26th. So you can find that webinar. It's gonna talk about all things California, COVID-19, SPSL. I know there are a ton of questions. And I'm sorry I cannot answer every one of them. We just don't have enough time here today because there are so many new pieces of legislation that we can't tackle them all on one on one discussion. So again, please go to fisherphillips.com. You can go to fisherphillips.com slash newsroom dash events, and you can register for the March 26th event. If you have any problems finding that event on the Fisher Phillips website, feel free to reach out to me. But again, all you really need to do is fisherphillips.com and then you can kind of look around their site, look for the events page, scroll down, and you'll find the one for March 26th. And they will be talking about nothing but SPSL and the new provision. It's quite extensive. Quite extensive. Oh, cool. Okay, great. Uh, we had an attendee who just said she just registered. It's very easy to find. Awesome. I'm so glad you did that, Ashley. Thank you. Please do that. Uh, if you're an employer with 26 or more employees, it is mandatory that you follow the California COVID-19 SPSL for those California employees that you employ. So I highly recommend 
that you, at the very least, uh, review my blog that comes out tomorrow afternoon or uh, join or um, preferably join the Fisher Phillips webinar. Great. I have another person who sent me the link. I don't know how to share that. I think I can share that. Give me one second. I was thinking I could share it, but I'm not sure that I can. I may be challenged that way. Um, but yes, please, please do do that. Okay. Sorry, I could not get to your questions on that. I know that there there were 20 or more. I recognize that, and I apologize we couldn't get to them. We can't get to them today. My intention is just for you to know that it's out there, that it applies to you. If you're an employer with 26 or more employees with employees in California, so please, please make sure that you take advantage of the two opportunities that I that I've laid out for you. All right, New York paid sick leave. If you're an employer and you employ employees in the state of New York, um, this law applies to public or private employers with employees living or working in New York State, regardless of number of employees. So anyone, any employer, starts March 12th. They recently released a set of facts to clarify that it is not retroactive. It expires at the end of December in 2022. The paid sick leave is not to exceed four hours per injection, provided at the employee's regular rate of pay. And this New York State just issued a set of facts to address the most common questions. And you can see the link to that set of facts there. You'll receive a copy of these slides. Um, you receive that uh, um, by Monday uh, of next week, so you'll be able to, to kind of click on that link. All right, so I've got some relevant issues. I always like to leave the the audience and let you know, like, what kind of questions are being asked? Where you know, are you the only ones wondering or asking that question? And you're not, you're not alone. So this this is a toilet paper talk, which is just you know uh, relevant issues that have kind of spiked up. So here are some relevant issues here. Um, we've gotten a lot of FSC RA questions. You know, just know that FSC RA is completely optional. And with the news of the California SPSL, your organization may very well want to seriously give it thought before you extend FSC RA in light of the overlap that the California SPSL is now providing. So FFCRA, yes, there is a new paid sick leave bank starting April 1. You have to reset that clock for paid sick leave. For COBRA subsidies, a lot of questions about divorce death. That is not an involuntary termination. So if there is a qualified beneficiary for COBRA due to divorce or death, they will not be eligible for the subsidy. Subsidies must be given automatically to the AEIs that are currently enrolled in COBRA. Just know that these individuals do need to receive a special notice outlining the terms of the subsidy and contact your COBRA vendor for assistance in mailing the notices. If your COBRA vendor has not proactively reached out to you, that is a serious gap in communication. I would email them as soon as possible. And we are, are, we are just as anxious as you to get guidance on involuntary terminations. I know you You've all posed some very unique situations, which could, could or could not be an involuntary termination. We do need to wait for the DOL or the IRS to release guidance on that. They will. They will. We just need to try to be patient, which is really hard for me. We have to try to be patient for the next couple of weeks until they get those out to us. And then we can answer so many more questions at that point.
Right. On April 15th, we are hosting another webinar that's focused on employer vaccine policies. We already did one at the end of February. We're going to do another one. We know a little bit more information now. And this one, we're going to present some mock scenarios and we're going to have panelists that are subject matter experts weigh in on uh, on some scenarios and, and uh, you know, kind of like, what if we do this or what if we do that? So I really recommend when you get the invite for April 15th that you register and listen in. We're going to have those mock scenarios with panelists weighing in. Then we'll have a Q&A afterwards. And please look for that invite later next week. I had someone asking, how do we access the blog? It's www.boltonco.com slash blog. And then you can just click uh, to subscribe. And so April 15th, we're going to do another employer vaccine policy webinar where we present mock scenarios and our SMEs are going to weigh in on each scenario. And then you'll have a chance to ask your specific questions and uh, we will give answers or our SMEs will give answers afterwards. As always, you have some resources available to you. You have a Bolton blog, which is right here on the screen. Someone asked how to access. For benefit-related questions, if you're a Bolton client, you can just contact your team members, and they will probably loop me in or, or um, point you to Think HR, which whichever is more appropriate. And for employment matters, you all know I love Fisher Phillips' website. The amount of facts and information and templates that they have available at no cost is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I myself, because I'm not an employment law expert, I am an insurance expert. Um, I go to, to FisherPhillips.com fairly often. I go to their, their COVID-19 resource center fairly often. So I wanted to share that link with you as well. I'm sure you're used to that. I, I talk about them at the end of every presentation. Yes, Fisher Phillips is amazing. I totally agree, Susan. All right. Well, I appreciate your time today. I'm sorry we couldn't go over every question regarding the, the California SPSL. I hope you get to at least read my blog or sign up for Fisher Phillips. We'll see you next month. Thanks, everyone.